You're listening to Mind of the Alpha, raw, unedited, and straight from the wolf's mouth. Gene, what um you so you you're running for presidential election in 2024? Is that right? That's right. Heck yeah, I, man. Uh, tell me tell me about that. What how'd you get into you know wanting to do that, or you know do you have experience in politics at all? Well, so it's uh you know it started probably you know 20 years ago or so. I think you know at some point in life everybody you know kind of floats the ideas and says geez you know what i should i should just run for president mm-hmm. um you know we talk so much about what's going on and 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 what's happening in the world um you know my experience in politics uh, in so much as my post military career um i worked in the oil and gas industry and in government contracting so a lot of my job was based on geopolitical and transnational uh, security risk management with a focus on on energy and critical infrastructure protection. And I worked a lot um, with White House officials, with um, uh, various government agencies, with Senate staffers, uh, particularly during the stand-up and the creation of Homeland Security. So, you know, I, uh, while I've never been at the forefront, I've certainly been in the room an awful lot through the years, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have that understanding of what actually happens on the ground and, and happens behind closed doors. And uh, certainly from the business perspective and understanding of the the interconnectivity uh, between uh, global corporations uh, and not only our own government, but uh, but foreign governments as well, and and how those relationships work, um, oil and gas and energy. I think if you uh, go through go through history, you can find that that many a many a war began uh, and 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 came out of energy policies and oh, yeah. the yeah. the the need for energy and and all the rest, right. Um, so as a student, you know, of uh, as as a participant in that and as a student of history and and geopolitics and and looking at what's been happening in our own government uh in our own society, you know, the last 10 years even let's say. Um you know, enough people have, you know, would say, "Geez, you know what? A guy like you should run for president." And uh I turned 50 last year and I said, "You know what? I'm going to do it in 2024. I think I'm the right man at the right time." Uh, with the right message. Right, right. So what what party do you affiliate yourself with? Are you independent or or how do you how do you affiliate? Yeah, so I'm I'm running as an independent. Okay. Um, you know, by registration through the years, I've I've always been a a, a Republican, but I'm very middle of the road, I think. I'm probably even more of a, a libertarian in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, you know, particularly with my background and in, in stepping back um, from issues and taking my own opinion, excuse me, my own opinions out of it and really looking at things from a practical matter and looking at issues, you know, from a domestic uh, and from a, a global relationship standpoint. Um, I think I'm, pretty evenly balanced when it comes to things that on the one hand, I may not necessarily 
agree with what's being said at the moment about it or may not necessarily agree with a a particular position but i i strive to understand those positions and then you know look for look, look for where the win win is right right so so do you what are your you know what what are some of the things that you think that you can do to improve the overall life of the everyday american citizen well, first and foremost, and and you know, I, I sort of look at and been formulating, you know, that first hundred day plan, and and what do we need to do, and where do we need to begin? What's a you know, what's a reset look like from from what we have now, and what we've been going through, and what are the what are the arguments that are going on? And to me, it begins with bringing the federal government back to service back to serving the American people, back to the idea that when an American petitions their government, the person who receives that that petition needs to first and foremost think, how do I best serve and how do I best help this person uh, with that petition? You know, look at, uh, you know, the 87,000 new IRS agents coming in. I don't think we need 87,000 IRS agents. I think we need 87,000 people who are committed to helping Americans navigate our government. Um, Is is it true that because I've I've read that those um, IRS agents, like one of the requirements is they have to be able to carry a weapon. and and I just don't I don't really see the point of an IRS uh, excuse me an IRS agent having to carry a weapon. Do you? Well, not unless they're doing some kind of enforcement activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 that's what I'm saying. I I don't think, you know, I I there, there's certainly a, a you know a certain amount of criminal activity that goes on around you know taxes and. And, and and serving warrants and and all the rest of it. Right. I don't think that's a role that the IRS needs to play independent. We 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 have plenty of agencies that can that can be turned to that can do that sort of work. Um, you know, and and this whole idea whether they're carrying weapons or not is that none of it is you know, it's it's a grab. It's a well, let's check on you, let's make sure you're doing the right thing as opposed to an organization and institutions that are focused on, well, how do we help people resolve issues? How do we help people come into compliance instead of how do we get you? Right. Right. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people, they fear the IRS and, and um, I think that's backwards. We should definitely not have to live in fear of the IRS. It should be something where, as a U.S. citizen, you know, you can look, you don't, you're not afraid to call them and, and it's not, you know, a hassle to file your taxes. It's not a hassle to, to contact the IRS. And, and I know that they have to do audits and things like that. I mean, that's huh. never going to go away. Right. Um, but it, they, you know, I, I think a lot of people are scared of that process. And I think that, you know, you definitely have a good point there, um, you know, kind of working. I, I just don't, the, the 87,000 IRS agents, man, that's a, that was kind of mind blowing to me when that was announced, you know, especially yeah. as much money as they're, you know, spending on that sort of thing when we have all kinds of other issues out there that are going on in the country. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, man, is what, how do you feel about the, 
um, policy that Biden has put in place that we've been, you know, working with Ukraine on this whole, because I mean, that's a big, big thing going on in the world, obviously, with Ukraine and Russia, right? Sure. Uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on the fact that we are, you know, now we're supplying weaponry to Ukraine and um, it's scary to me. Well, and I'll tell you, that was probably, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, on my decision to run. Okay. And I'll give you a little bit of history. Um, throughout the majority of my, I, I spent more of my adult life living outside of the United States than inside the United States in, in the jobs and roles that I had. Okay. Um, my wheelhouse particularly was Eastern Europe, former Soviet Union, Russia. Um, those were the areas I operated. And I, I spent countless days, you know, probably equivalent, you know, sneaking up on years um, inside Ukraine. And if you asked me back in 2004, I could have told you Putin fully intends on taking back Ukraine, as well as a lot of the other former Soviet Soviet republics. In 2012, I could have told you he was a couple of years away from making a grab for Crimea. When he made the grab from Crimea, um, and I, I have, you know, papers, I you know, writing to friends and friends asking opinions and things like that, and, and some things I did, you know, some work I did for, for corporations, uh -huh. um, I wrote papers about how the next Democratic president, you know, after 2017, um, the next Democratic president would have to deal with the full-scale invasion of of Ukraine. And this is all a matter of of of, of methodology and signals from from Russia and from Putin and and you know all the rest of it. So when the buildup began and we started getting fed, well, we don't know what he's doing. We're gonna, you know, monitor it, we're gonna send some strong messages. And then Putin invades and and the administration in Western Europe, everybody acted like it was a surprise. And, and that said two things to me. It said either number one, this is part of the game of political theater, which we all know happens. We all talk about our disdain for it, yet we continue to allow it. And, and to an extent, we, we almost demand it. Um, as a as, as voters as constituents, or these politicians are legitimately surprised by that action. In which case, I said to myself, if if that is the case, and and if I called it, if some guy named Gene Sticko knew this was going to happen, and and even you know as, as early as well, I'm sorry, as as late as you know 2021. You know, I was talking about spring invasion and all. I think I think ultimately I was off by two months, um, you know, when I called it. Right. So if I know it and and people in, in my circle who, who understand and look at geopolitics and, and transnational issues and, and all the rest of it, if we knew it and politicians didn't, then somebody else needs to be a politician and needs to, to run for president. And if you did know it, um, then that comes down to what was, you know, what was the backroom deal that was probably struck? Um, and, and I think that is the most likely scenario is that there, there, there was, there was a backroom agreement between nations that understood Putin was going to do this. 
that was going to allow it, that was going to allow them to annex uh, eastern Ukraine and, and the Donbass. And the one thing they never factored in was Zelensky's willingness to fight and his military's willingness to fight. And then the world got put into a position once he did start fighting where now they have to support him. Now we have to do this. We can't not support him, but they never thought that they would. And so I think where we're at now with having to fund them is a result of, of that miscalculation um, and, and a little probably face-saving effort, um, you know, based on the history of, uh, of, of the administration in that region and, and particularly in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what, you know, I had my opinion on Ukraine. I never, so I think we all know the point of, of Putin um, invading Ukraine is obviously to take it back and, and try to build, rebuild the USSR. Right. Um, and get it to the point where, because if you look at the farmland in Russia and the infrastructure, it's not that great. You know, it's some of the worst farmland in the entire world. Um, so they rely on a lot of outside entities um, shipping, you know, in importing things in for them to eat and that sort of thing. And so my my opinion on it was that everybody was always afraid that Putin was going to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And I was like, well, I don't. I don't really think he's going to use nuclear weapons just simply because his goal is to take over the territory and you can't really occupy a territory that's radioactive. You know what I mean? And, and, and ruining everything. Um, but there were some talks last week. Um, I don't know if you saw, but in the headlines, um, the, I, I, I don't remember, excuse me if, you know, for not remembering what the, uh, the agency is called in um, in the United Kingdom. They're it's kind of like their CIA. Um, yeah, MI6. MI6. Um, there was some. Um, thank you. There was some uh, talks that they heard with Putin and in his um, different various uh, you know uh, in, in staff and stuff like that. Um, that their goal with Ukraine was has changed now because they see the opposition. Um, and their goal with Ukraine is just to basically take it and destroy it. Um, and I, did you see those talks at all? Those those headlines at all last uh, week? I have, yes. Okay, so it kind of changed my my outlook on it. You know that Putin was ready to use you know weapons of you know nuclear weapons or dirty bombs or things like that, and that scares me. Sure. But the fact that Biden's, you know, sending over all these tanks and military and, 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 um, you know, guns and different various ammunition and things like that. I think that is really putting us in a position that we, we don't need to be in. I, I, I agree. I think, you know, again, we're, well, we've already been in that position when Zelensky decided to fight, we were already put in that position, mm-hmm. um, that we, we had no choice, but to, but to support him and, but, uh, you know, but to provide that kind of, uh, you know, military hardware and aid and, and, you know, cooperate with the, our allies, um, you know, in NATO as well. And, 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 you know, stop what had, had Putin been successful, like he should have been, in the first, you know, couple of weeks in annexing Donbass and negotiating an agreement and staying out of Kiev and, it, you know, maybe installing a, a puppet there as well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, his next stop certainly would have been the Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia and, and, and Estonia. Mm-hmm. 
So all of that has sort of been thrown, you know, thrown up in the air. I think you're probably still right in that Ukraine, you you can't make re- Ukraine a radioactive wasteland without um, adversely impacting Russia itself. And never mind, you know, the, the neighboring countries and all of that. So I would still say I I still don't though there would be a lot of saber rattling and 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 threats and whatnot I I still don't think you know the extent of a a nuclear um, uh, response in Ukraine uh, would be on the table mm-hmm. because for all of those reasons you mentioned they they would need that land they would need to rebuild it they would need to. Um, you know, be able to to maintain it as a as a buffer, you know, between the West. Right, right. The- and and a lot of the and a lot of the issue here, I mean, and it goes back to when Putin first came into power in two thousand. You know, this is this is the the end game end of gameplay um, of a, a whole series of failures of U.S. policy toward the former Soviet Union, you know, beginning with the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, and and we've very much put ourselves in this position um, that we find ourselves today. And, uh, you know, in a sense, very much instigated and, and probably made Putin more powerful and last longer than he otherwise would have um, had, had well, other decisions been made earlier on. If you think, though, too, I mean, Putin's known for you know, if anybody, any adversary comes at him, you know, that threatens his office, if you will, um, he just takes them out. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So, so I, I think, you know, what, what's crazy about what, about the whole thing that's going on with him, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of rumors that he is sick and, you know, obviously he's getting up in age. I, I think, you know, he's pretty old for a Russian citizen, right? They, they usually sure. don't live as long as he does. Um, and but the problem is is like what you know when he's gone there's nobody to take over you know who's going to take over there's no anybody that threatens that uh, or, or even brings up that they may be his successor is gone they just disappear right so right. It, you know i i just don't i i don't think russia is going to be and, and i think that you know we severely overestimated russia and their you know their um their military capabilities, obviously. There was uh, talks when the whole Ukraine war started that um, they would invade and, and take over the capital of Ukraine and have you know control of Ukraine and within 10 days. And what are we going on a year, a little over a year now? A year and two years. change, so. right. Yeah, right. so it's pretty. So what, what would your, you know, as far as like if you were in offices as the president of the United States, what would your um, standpoint be to a, a foreign policy, say, you know, because obviously, you know, we have the China and Taiwan threat as well. Um, what What is your, you know, what what is your standpoint on, you know, the use of military force and um, stepping in when need be? Well, I think you, as as anybody, you know, who who's president sets, you know, your military option is is your last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, communicating your willingness to use it is really where your power is, uh, as well as the, the, the military's ability to execute, right? So what is it, you know, what is a threat intent, opportunity and capability? 
So if we, uh, you know, are are able to express and convey our intent, and we are able to demonstrate our capabilities, then you know you don't want to give us the opportunity to to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think the issue that we're facing today has been decades in the making. I think you're right when you when you when you ask who's there to replace Putin. There are some Russians in exile who would be good candidates for that. But again, the structure that is in place and the structure that exists um, in the, in the role of the oligarchs. And if you even look, if you go through what's happened since the start of the war um, with Ukraine and, and people who have spoken out, there's a whole swath of oligarchs who have, uh, you know, been suicided. Uh, yeah. yeah they're you, you know, I mean, under, just... under suspicious circumstances. Right. right. Um, you know, I think the the easy answer in what happens and who we go back to 1990 Russia, we go back to 1991, 1991, you know, Russia, uh, where there is this power vacuum, where there are these um, organizations, criminal or otherwise, backed by oligarchs that pop up. So if I was sitting in the White House right now, what I would be thinking of and what I'd be looking at and, and the information I would want to know uh, is who are the players that might be prepared to step in, who is already in that circle that might be able to be influenced um, in order to ease a transition. And, uh, you know, is there a, a quote unquote shadow government in place that would be able to not only, you know, take over the politics and the day-to-day um, issues that that affect Russia, um, but also be able to maintain control of the military and, and law enforcement apparatus, you know, in that country. Mm-hmm. So that would be the information I'm, I'm looking for as I, I was sitting there um, in order to, you know, s- start having that plan. Right, right. I mean, it, it's crazy to me. I mean, it's just imagine the billions of dollars that we've been sending to Ukraine. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, they have found that there's been a lot of misuse of those funds. Sure. Um, you know, that they've been, they found, you know, people within the government partying and using that money for, for self, you know, preservation, that sort of thing. Um, it, it brings back, you know, to me, we have a lot of problems within the borders of our own country. And if we have that much money laying around that we can just send to another country, why is it that we're not able to fix some of the issues here in, within the United States, within the borders of the United States? True. And, and the fact is we don't have that money laying around. We just print that's it. The, you know, that's the sad part about it is we really, we don't have that money um, to do that. And, and we're, we're, taking exactly from the American people um, to, to, to support that. And, and you look at the, the um, package that went through that's supporting a lot of Ukraine social services and all the rest of it. Again, that's, that's symptomatic of the, the larger problem, you know, in a country like Ukraine with its, its infrastructure and political systems and, um, and, and believe me, there was, you know, still a lot of Russian influence, um, through business and, and, and through politics there. Um, you know, but if, if we don't do it, 
and this this is what the sticking point becomes. If we don't put that money in there, that people get their security, you know, their their version of social security checks, that their their trains and buses don't run, then that leaves room either for Russia to come in and do it and win hearts and minds, or for China to come in and back them up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, again win hearts and minds, take control of resources and assets uh, that would otherwise be diverted. You know, again, Ukraine has massive gas reserves. That's a big issue uh, of why, you know, Putin wanted what he wanted. Um, So you would, you know, you could, would potentially be faced with a, a, a case where now China has moved in and China is exerting influence both over Russia because we saved you and they have greater influence over Western Europe as far as uh, energy infrastructure, right. uh, food supplies, all those sort of little crises that are that are popping up at the moment. Um, and then what sort of position does that put China in to be able to, uh, uh, you know, influence Western Europe? Well, honestly, man, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not really that concerned about China as a superpower much longer. I mean, if, if you're, if you really break it down, you really look into it. They're most of their population because of the one child act that they put in place. Um, most of their population is in their is, is 60 and above, you know what I mean? So um, that there's not the younger, there's not much younger generation there. Um, and if you if you think if you look at their imports and exports, they you know ninety percent of what they um, have to use to make um, different you know their you know equipment um, to you know process food to to create anything ninety percent of the um, the inputs that if you will that they need to produce is imported in from other countries you know so um, I I don't really. I'm not really concerned with them as a superpower. I've even read, um, you know, articles and things like that, that there's a lot of people predicting that China probably won't be in power um, more than another 20 years or 20, 20 to 30 years. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen that as well. I think the, I think the main issue, and I agree with your point about the aging population and, you know, China's ability to carry out, you know, a large scale, you know, if not global, uh, military operation or particularly, you know, direct strike, mm-hmm. you know, troop boots on the ground in, in the United right. States. I think uh, all that I agree sort of outside the the realm of possibility. But what you mentioned about their their need to import, um, you know, China and I've said this a lot, you know, we don't we're not all playing as global powers. China, Russia, United States, you know, UK to an extent, we're not all playing by the same set of rules. Right. So a country like China, while they're importing a lot of their their raw materials and and other uh, you know and and, and other goods and, and even services, the problem is a lot of times they they've they've started owning the resources in the countries from which they are operating or importing. So, uh, you know, you take uh, Mexico, you know, South America, you know, China owns. Hell, they're doing it here in the United States and Texas. Right, exactly. You know, China owns one of the biggest lithium mines in Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, to import to itself 
you know, the raw materials to make, you know, our Tesla batteries and, and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, they've, they've taken this approach of supply chain dominance um, for themselves under the guise of, of, you know, private corporations right and you know as is always said there's no there's no difference between a corporation and the government when it comes to china right and and they've done it with oil and gas you know in in a lot of countries that have you know their national oil companies and all the rest of it are just you know de facto extensions of the government itself and the government's ability to exercise influence in the countries they operate in right and and that's that's probably the the sticking point and the threat uh, from China is that they they do they have been very um, acted with intent and been very specific about where and what resources they they are buying up and as you said you know they've they've done it in the United States and at least we're finally are, are starting to to raise the flag on it and ask questions and and look to stop it before it becomes too problematic i, I like you mentioned um the supply chain and i think one of the biggest thing that covid taught us was that our supply chain is not very secure um especially you know we're not very self sufficient even though um i think you know the united states we we only i want to say we only import like 5% of the inputs we need to to produce food and things like that and be self-sufficient and those things. But, you know, look at the, the whole microchip thing, you know, we went right. to car shortages and we still are because of that. Um, so how would you change if you became president today, what would you do to ensure that, you know, cause obviously COVID taught us that it's possible for us to, to see a worldwide pandemic and to, and to, you know, to move through it. Um, but it also showed a lot of our weaknesses. So what would you do to improve um, you know, the United States, our, our own supply chain, being able to be more self-sufficient um, if our borders are ever shut down or other borders are shut down and we're not able to bring it in from where we need to. Right. You know, it becomes a matter of resilience and, and contingency planning you know, to an extent and a in uh, a phased in approach. So I think what we're you know, what you would be looking at is you know, building capacity back in the United States. And, you know, it, it, it sounds cliche, especially from anybody, you know, running for running for office right. at a federal level, but bringing those jobs and industries back to America. And, and if it's not, you know, and understandably, you can't flip a switch and make it happen, but we need to establish a plan, um, you know, 5, 10, 20, 50 year plan on how we build resiliency in those organizations and we're not just talking about you know supply chain and you're not even talking about um uh, energy you know both of those you know operate on critical fault lines uh that that any disruption has the potential to become a major disruption i think it falls in with with health care as well and we saw a lot of that um, at the at, at the onset and our ability to respond. So, you know, we really need to refocus on building resiliency in and having a resiliency focused approach to rebuilding American industries and bringing those jobs back um, over the long term uh, and 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 have more of a focus on, the uh industrial the, the defense industrial act 
that should we need to turn to that how do we how do we turn to it and ramp that up um even faster th- than we were able to which i think was was pretty fast i i i can't really critique um or or give too much criticism i should say right um of that um but you know again you still to come a lot of work the, to be done the money on that though i mean cuz i mean if you look at our debt to gdp ratio right now it's 120% mm-hmm. uh, which is mind-blowing to me you know what i mean it's that much i mean i think our our national debt's like 32 trillion and some change um and obviously it's just going up every second that we're sitting here talking so what what are some things that you could we could do that you would do to you know kind of uh address the 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 debt and then address our gd debt to gdp ratio and to you know raise funds without you know creating too much inflation and, and, you know, creating hardship for the uh, American people. Right. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll happily admit that is, you know, beyond, um, you know, beyond there, there's a lot of other experts that I would need to bring in to, you know, to give a, a solid plan or idea on that. But, I think that's a great answer, Gene. I really do. Cause at most, <laughs> most of your presidential candidates, man, they'll, they'll tell you some bullshit that they, you know, in that some BS answer or something like that. I would rather you say, Hey, I'm not, that's not my area of expertise, but Hey, I'm going to get the best people out there. Well, exactly. To surround me, because I mean, let's be honest. As the commander in chief of the United States of America, you can't do that by yourself. You got to have a team around you that's going to be, you know, you got to have a team around you that you trust. Number one, and that is the best of the best. And well, and that's what you know. Isn't that what leadership's all about? You would, and that's what you being so. any any sort of executive is all about: is your ability to sit and and listen to recognized experts in what's going on and make a decision about what, what the best course of action is. And I go back to my, my initial statement about service to the American people. And when you step and when you can, when you can have those experts at the table and you can step back and not be worrying about the next election and the next election cycle and what's the party already said and we're already too far down this road with what we've said to turn back and and you and you step it through the door saying i am here to listen to all of the experts and to to dispassionately make a decision that is the best decision for the american people in this moment and I am willing to adjust my sales as we go, uh, in in order to do that. I think that's the 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 core and the crux of being a, a leader or or a chief executive at at any level. I don't care if right. you're a, a small family based business. Um, you you need to be able to to listen to, to everybody around you. Yeah, there's a reason um, why those jobs exist, right? I mean, there's a reason why. Exactly. You, you you know, as the president of the United States, I think you kind of got to be a, a jack of all trades, if you will. Um, in my opinion, you know, you got to yep. be um, knowledgeable in all kinds of different areas. But then you put if if you're if you're a good president and you're good or good exec, you know, executive or CEO, or whatever you're doing, um, it's all about selecting hand selecting the people around you 
and putting the best person for the job in that position. Right. You know? And and I have, you know, and I, and and when it comes to, you know, the economy, I, I have a fundamental idea of what I'd like to see. I have a fundamental idea of what I believe in. You know, mm-hmm. I believe I think we would be much better off with a low flat tax rate, no income taxes. Um, you know, an escalating scale based on on purchases. You know, of course, your your necessities are are tax free, but you start getting into luxury clothing and luxury cars and uh, you know luxury real estate and and, and all the rest of it. If right. you want, you know, if your if your contention is the rich don't pay their fair share, then you get their fair share by taxing those things that 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 economic you know demographic uh, use and go for. Um, and, and so, you know, in principle, that's what I'd like to see in practice. What will it take to get there is another question that, you know, I, I need, I need to hear some debates from some economists on. Right. Right. And what, you know, so there's a lot of times where you'll get a candidate, um, not even just on federal level, I'm talking township level that guarantees they're going to do this, this, and that within the first hundred days of office, within the first 90 days, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, none of that gets done. Right. None of that gets done in the first hundred days. What, what are your thoughts on that? Why, why is that something that is, you know, why is that something that's so common? Well, because it's a job interview because it's a job interview. And once they're, once they're in office, they begin worrying. They're, they're already worrying about their, their next four years. They're already worried about their legacy, their next job, um, and, you know, and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, and, and that skews what they do, right. They're worried about where, look, I, I'm, I just turned 50 years old in November. I retired five years ago, um, going on five years, you know, 45, 46 years old, started easing into, to semi-retirement and, and people have asked the question, well, why not start at local politics? I, I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to be a politician, but I see a situation that I think I have some reasonable and realistic answers to. Um, I, I think I have a, an, an approach that we need as a country right now, and I'm willing to put myself up there to to stand on the front line and and take the shots to the gut, you know, however they may be, in order to communicate it and and in order to to get it done and inspire action and inspire change and. And, and all of that. So, you know, politicians not making grandiose statements and, and visions. Again, it goes back to that idea. We know they're not going to do it. Right. Um, we, and we, and we accept it and we don't demand accountability. If you go to even my Facebook page and I've started outlining ideas around policies and, and healthcare and education and defense and, and, you know, all those all those big issues. One of the things I put in there is, you know, I got to have a measurable criteria. I have to have timelines. You know, if I'm working for the American people, I want things on which, you know, can be measured. So that tells me what I put out there, I need to know is achievable. And and when I talk about those first hundred days for me, I think what's reasonable and realistic in those first hundred days is this you know, complete evaluation of our 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 administration and our our institutions and our agencies that are focused on what is there to work for the American people. Um, is it working for the American people? If it's not, 
do we need to get rid of it? Do we need to reform it? Uh, and and if so, what are the steps that we need to take to do that? And then that becomes the agenda that I hand to Congress to say this is this is what we need to, uh, you know, this is what we need to get rid of, or this is what we need to to move forward on on all of these issues um, in the service of the American people. I got you. So one of the biggest things that I think the American people, um, I, I think. You know, and, and going back to my question I had about, you know, where would you come up with the uh, the the revenue and the money to um, make these changes without affecting, you know, inflation, the economy too much? I mean, anything you do is going to affect the economy. There's not going to be a whole lot you can do about that, right? Sure. Um, but what are your feelings on marijuana reform? At the federal level? Yes. Well, I think you have to follow suit to an extent, you know, w- with with the states. Um, and, and, you know, probably one of my more controversial, uh, you know, feelings or uh, opinions is this idea that more needs to be pushed to the states. Um, so regardless of what I think personally of it, um, or what I would like to see, if it is so the will of the people, um, that there is, you know, the 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 legalization, uh, you know, lightning of controls and and, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, as the federal government, we need to to follow suit and align what we do with what is happening in the states. And I think we need to do that on several issues. What What do you think the reason why the government, the federal government, is holding back from? legalizing recreational marijuana on a on a national level what i know you said you you know and i agree with you i think the states obviously have to have um i i feel like the state should have the final say so in each state you know and i agree with you completely on that um but you know there's a lot of people out there that want to see it legalized federally um what what what's the biggest thing that you think is holding them back from doing that do you think it's something to do with uh taxes or, or you know i don't i don't know well, I think it's, you know, it goes back to uh, the the larger any organization gets, the slower it moves, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw this in the, in the corporate world. The ability for a small business to affect change within its organization happens a lot quicker than a global organization, you know, with 120,000, you know, plus employees uh, around the world. Right. And so you have to sort of begin to look at it from that perspective, you have to look at the idea that a lot of our leadership has been on that anti-marijuana, you know, they're still, they're still in the eighties. They're still in the, the, the war on drugs. And so as with many issues, we've begun to walk down a path that nobody is willing to be the one to stand up and finally say, okay, now it's time to change direction. Do you, you know, feel like that term limits should be in place for, you know, senators and oh, of course people, because I mean, you look at, I don't know how you feel about Nancy Pelosi. I know how I feel about her, but look at her. She's been a career politician. You know, she's been in for what, 60 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Her husband happens to be the, uh, the best investor that's ever lived on the face of the earth. And you tell me, I mean, that seems a little fishy to me, um, but 
you, you know, I think that you're right about the old school thought. So, I mean, I, I think term limits should definitely be well, it, put in place. It, and there's the, you know, there's the, the Republican senator from New Jersey, mm-hmm. you know, 83 years old. Now he's switching to the Democratic Party because the Republican, you know, he says, oh, the Republican Party left me because they don't want to endorse me for another another run at office. And I feel and again, like that's more lobbyists that, you know, well, but, but even, if it is, even if it Democratic is the party in his pocket. Listen, you know, I I think you know I think Biden, Pelosi, you know, uh, I don't remember the senator's name. You know, how long? I I think at a certain point you become obsessed with power, um, and and I think that's ultimately the 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 problem there with the the Senate and the House and and lifelong politicians who particularly. You know, you're in a you're in a solid blue or a solid red uh, area. You know, you've you've got your job pretty much guaranteed. Um, you know, for as long as you're able to hold it. Um, so, I, I I agree. I think you know. I think we need the term. I think we need the term limits because we often get the case of people who just refuse to step back. Um, and step out of a job to allow fresh ideas to come in and to allow a new perspective, you know, and, and I think, and, and you've probably seen it in your own life, you know, in a job, the person that should have retired 15 years ago that just can't let go because they believe, oh, if, you know, once I leave, this is all going to fall apart and, and, and all the rest of it. And so I think, you know, it's, it's that sort of thinking to a certain degree, um, as opposed to stepping back, stepping to the sideline, becoming a mentor to other people, um, you know, helping them learn to navigate the system. I think this this grasp on power is what drives people to have 60-year careers in the in in government as opposed to, you know, a truly um uh a, you know, uh, them really believing that they're, you know, they're, they're the best person for the job, or, you know, maybe that's the psychosis of it is that they do believe they're the best person and nobody else can come in and, you know, the, the world will be a disaster once they, once they disappear. Yeah. Ultimately I, I, the problem being the American people uh, need to be the ones to affect that change because you're, because people go into the house and Senate, with the idea that they, you know, are now pretty much on their path to a lifetime job there, or they're worried about the next election, nobody's going to go in and 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 make that resolution that says we need to vote for this, and they're not going to get the vote to impose term limits on themselves, uh, you know, and if they do, then they've sealed their own, you know, political death. But if by a matter of practice, the American people get together and say, well, you know what? The guy's been in there 10 years. Uh, yeah, he's doing a good job, but you know what? We, we, we need to put somebody new in there. So we're just, uh, we're just going to go ahead and do that. If we have a fundamental shift in our mindset as, as, as constituents and as voters, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, we become what we're supposed to be. We, we become, the the regulators and and the the officiators of how long is too long right not not a lot of people have a lot of faith in our voting process though anymore 
I mean, I, I know that, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think it's suspect, you know, to say the least. And, and I, I, I think there's gotta be a better way, you know, yeah. there has to be a better way. And without, without, re, you know, reforming the way that we vote and how votes are counted and that sort of thing, I think that's always going to be something that's in the back of the American people's head. Um, I know it will be in mine, you know, as far as that goes, there's a lot of people that don't vote because they feel like their votes doesn't count anyways. Right. Well, and, 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 and that's, that's a lot of always been like that. And, you know, that's sad that somebody feels that way because it, it, that's not the way democracy is supposed to work. You know, and, and fundamentally, we're supposed to be able to vote, put in people that we like and vote the people that we don't like out. Right. And that's, you know, uh, an interesting dynamic to 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 my campaign and, you know, a question that comes up a lot. Well, if I'm if I'm running in as, as a as a write in ballot, as I'm, uh, you know, or an independent, how do I get on the ticket? How do you know, can you win by being a write in candidate and all the rest of it? And the answer is, yeah, there's a there's actually a path to it. By, there's there's about six states that don't allow write-in candidates. Right. But even without those six states, and I think California and maybe Michigan, um, you know, there's still a path by write-ins alone so to these, ascend these, to the the. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to clarify: Are those six states? Are they swings? Are we talking swing states, or or are we talking? Uh, it's actually it's actually a mix. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so okay. there's a mix of them. I wish I could rattle them off off the top of my head, but I can't um, because if I'm thinking of, uh, you know, if I'm thinking in terms of I've got to generate enough write-in votes, then I've already discounted them and and, and aren't going to worry about them. Um, so you're right. But and that's why I say if I, you know, I believe in the Constitution, I believe in the flexibility of it, um, I believe in our systems. And, and if I believe that, then I have to believe as a U.S. citizen, U.S. born citizen, 35 years of age or older, that I have equal access to and ability to become president of the United States, because that's the only criteria. Um, I think should my campaign continue to advance and get some notoriety and build momentum. I think then we'll see a lot of what you're talking about as far as the, the positioning and ballots cast in, you know, in the right and or wrong locations. Um, we'll see that come to fruition. I think the idea that people say, well, I don't want to waste my vote on a third party candidate. My answer to that is, well, if you're, you know, if you're not happy with one of the two candidates that you're being presented with, then you're really wasting a vote anyway. So you might as well, you know, if 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 you're thinking of it individually, that's one thing. If you're thinking of it along with 200, if, if 200 million other people think the same way, then we might send some messages and we might actually be able to affect some change. Right, right. So those those six states that you're talking about, Arkansas, Hawaii, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. There we go. Right. So, so those are, I assume, do you have plans to like do a campaign tour, like go out on the road? And I'm assuming those states are probably not included in that tour. Is that correct? That, that would be correct. So what, um, what is it that determines whether your name is shown on a ballot or not? How does that work? So that very, very state by state. 
Um, so, you know, right now I have some, some help and, and organizers. So I'm, I live in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, I have help and organizers in New York, Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas, Indiana, um, Illinois and Iowa. Nice. Okay. Um, so what they're going to have to do is, uh, you know, they're going to have to do some grassroots, uh, campaigning get the nomination forms from the secretaries of state mm -hmm. every state has a different criteria for how many names of registered voters need to be certified so that's you know when uh, somebody's standing outside the local supermarket collecting signatures um that varies from 3000 people to 10000 people depending on the state other states have requirements uh, for how much it costs, it could cost $3,000 in one state. Once you have all those signatures to file, it can be free in another state. And then in one state, uh, I think it's like $30,000 if you're not running for one of the, the, the major parties. So they certainly throw some obstacles uh, in your way um, when you when you're trying to go about it, the let's say non-traditional or uh you know non non accepted ways i think the uh you know the 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 political elites as they may have um you know established a system that's just accessible enough um but hopefully you know not able to build the kind of grassroots momentum that we would actually need right. to uh you know to to be a major player in it and you go right down to you know what do you need to to make it on the debate stage and 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 all the rest of it so um you know i'll i'll hold out belief in 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 the american people that there are enough middle of the road voters there are enough people that that hear my message um, and, and that's going to be the tough part because you know as people have said as i like to characterize myself I like to be realistic and reasonable mm -hmm. um, and realistic and reasonable. You know, the, the, the Washington post and New York times aren't going to run an article, you know, <laughs> headline Gene Sticko actually made a very realistic and reasonable point today. Let us share it with you. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think, I mean, personally, I think <laughs> um, doing things like we're doing today is so important because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a journalist by any means. I'm just someone that likes to meet interesting people, to be honest with you. Um, and so, but I think that these forums and independent journalism, um, are the only way that you can get what the truth of what's going on, you know, and the only way you can get the actual, um, you know, with your finger on the pulse type of thing. I mean, cause I mean, let's be honest, we all know Fox news, CNN, the Washington post, the New York times, all of them are, are owned by, you know, different companies and they lobby the, the and, and there's a lot of corruption there. Um, I mm -hmm. think that's a well-known fact at this point, right? Um, we have, so we've, we've discussed some of your, you know, your, you know, your, obviously your foreign policy and some domestic policy. Um, what about some social policy? I mean, one of the biggest things that's affecting the American people um, is the opioid epidemic. You know, sure. what, you know, we, we're seeing numbers of, of uh, U.S. citizens dying. You know, I, I think it's hundreds of thousands of people a year dying from overdoses, and it's an ongoing thing. Um, one, of the, one of the concerns that I have is that we are, and I say this a lot, I do talk about this a lot, but um, 
we are one of two countries that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise on TV and to buy commercial spots. And actually, if you look back at the numbers, like in the playoffs, 75% of the, the commercials that were played were for pharmaceutical companies. Right. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on the, the current epi, opioid epidemic? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, if we look at cause and effect and, and, you know, where did it come from and, and, and how do we stop it? I'm going to go back to my, you know, initial statement and thoughts. Our, our agencies and our institutions need to be behaving in a way that says, how do I best serve the American people? And how am I using the tools that are available to me to do that? So whether we want to say it's, you know, a rush at the border and it's an a problem caused by immigration, if we want to say it's a health care issue and, you know, lack of resources, if you continue to break it down to its core, somebody made a decision somewhere that was not in the best interest of the American people. And that's where it, that's where it begins. And, and that's where blame, if we're going to assign me, blame anywhere, crazy, rests. Call me crazy, Gene, but I think the CIA is the one that made the, uh, the poor decision on that aspect. <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, where, wherever it is and, and, you know, there's that old state department employee who said, you know, whatever, however conspiracy minded you are, the, you know, the truth of what the government's doing is probably a lot worse. Right. Right. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm familiar enough to say that in in any of those theories, there's there's shreds and elements of of fact that right. are that are interwoven. You know, within it's right. like uh, you know, I like a lot of old gangster history and all the rest of it. Oh, and, me too, man. I love you it. know, sometimes sometimes you see a case. The guy went to jail for one thing, and he didn't. Well, the guy's done something. You know, not saying that that's you know he should go to jail for it, but mm -hmm. you know, the same holds true in government. There's probably some you know uh, some some truth and fact woven in through through a lot of those things. But taking the step back. And, and how do you address it and where does it begin? And if we take the opioid crisis and we we break that down to how do we solve it and how do we provide treatment and all of that, that gets into healthcare. And one of my major approaches to healthcare would be redefining healthcare and the health of our nation um, as a matter of national security. Because I think that impacts so much of what we're able to do in so many different arenas. And so improving physical and mental well-being of children uh, and young adults and setting them on the right path is important towards their ability to enter and be productive members of the workforce, which leads into our seniors being able to lead productive and healthy lives into their, into their golden years um, without having, you know, significant expenses. It, that pipeline of care and attention feeds into our ability to number one, counter things like addiction, just based on people living healthier lifestyles and people having healthier uh, approaches to, to mental health and mental health treatment. 
it begins to resolve gun control issues and and gun violence. It begins to enhance our ability to defend our nation by having young people who are healthy and fit and able to enter the military or armed forces or people that are healthy and able to enter the health services, uh, not only in the United States, but you know, to get involved with international organizations, you know, like USAID and Doctors Without Border and and all the rest of it. So I think we need to, a, a holistic, holistically redefine um, what does healthcare mean to the nation um, in, in, in addressing those issues, you know, going forward. Right. And along that line comes that, that service to the American people that I am responsible for an agency that is mandated, you know, by Congress to secure the border, to enforce drug laws, to enforce gun laws, all of these things that exist. We have plenty of laws on the books. We need to enforce them better. We need to bring attention and, and resources to that and divert, you know, diverted away from making excuses. You know, you know, it's, it's really, in my opinion, there has to be in order. If, if we're always going to deal with this, these, these issues, you know, we're always going to deal with addiction issues and things like that. That's just human nature. Sure. Nothing you do or nothing I do or nothing anybody's going to do is going to stop people from being addicted to something, you know, whether that be gambling, um, you know, opioids, sex, what, whatever it is, there's, there's right. going to be addiction. But I think that the, you're, you're 100% correct. The approach has to be completely different than what we've tried in the past. And, and it all starts with allowing these people to get help with the treatment that they need. Um, starting with mental health treatment. You know, in yeah. being able, I, everybody that I know, I don't know if you know anybody, but most people know somebody that's going through some sort of addiction or has lost someone to addiction. Absolutely. Um, and I have someone in my life that, you know, we, my wife and I have personally tried to help her. It, and, um, you know, we, we got her out of the situation and she went right back to it because she wasn't able to find the mental health counseling that she needed because there's, you know, there's so much you can do a person you can get them out of a situation but if they don't treat themselves mentally and they don't fix themselves you know the the core issue of the problem they're not going to be able to do that and if you don't have access to those things it's really hard in this country to um you know to to beat that addiction and get past that i mean it, it really is and i think that that's you know where you said that you know reform would take you know place in the healthcare side of things i think that's really important i really do yeah, and and you know, and unfortunately, you're right. You know, stepping into the stepping into office, January 2025, you're already behind the eight ball. Right. Um, you know, on a lot of that because people have already set that you know have that going on in their lives. So you know, we need sort of those those concurrent running streams where we're 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 going we're going to change what's happening for the future, starting with you know children today. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I know a lot, again, a lot of the, the people that I know who have faced these issues throughout their lives, you know, you can, it, it didn't just start one day. It was a path, um, of opportunities for intervention earlier on that, that weren't there. 
And, and, you know, that's what we need to get better at identifying is through what resources do we have in school and in society and in, in how we're, we're educating people and in what we're making available. Where are those key gateways where we are able to, to touch and intervene in somebody's life that, that doesn't send them on that path? Um, and if they if they if they have slightly veered, we have a better opportunity of 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 getting them the help that they need before it becomes a major issue. Um, you know, it's a it, it, certainly a tough uh, you know tough road to go down once you're on it. Right. Um, so, right. So that's why and 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 so we got to we got to take care of the people who are on it. But I'll tell you, there's you know. We have a, a a city nearby here who have a very progressive um, progressive mayor, and you know they have the the drop in you know clean needle heroin stops that you can make, right? Um, you know, but they ban menthol cigarettes in the state itself is is banning menthol cigarettes. And I was speaking to somebody who, who was involved in you know the political circles here in the state, and I just said it's laughable. It doesn't pass the laugh test. I said that if I go into this city, I can go buy a bottle of vodka. I can walk a couple of doors down. I can shoot up with some clean heroin needles. And then I go in to buy a pack of menthol cigarettes. And that's where the line is. Well, that's it doesn't pass. And she, no, no, you can't look at it. You know, you've got to look at each thing individually. No. I'm looking at it from a realistic and reasonable standpoint mm-hmm. that if I'm somebody who, you know, who, who does this, I'm going to go there, I'm going to shoot up and I know I'm safe to shoot up and I'm going to get my bottle. But then you're going to tell me, oh, well, I can buy a regular pack of cigarettes, but not menthol because menthol's just, you know, I can't buy a flavored, you know, I can't buy a, a cherry flavored cigar. Right. It's laughable. And, what, and what that's. Well, how do you, you know, think that, you that's stop what, it? that that's where the focus has been? And in Massachusetts, all this happened, you know, right before COVID. They were I like, this is a health crisis in Massachusetts. We have to ban flavored vapes. Uh-huh. And then COVID showed up, and I'm like, so were flavored vapes really a health crisis? Right. Right. But what what's the balance there, though? I mean, because you I think one of the biggest issues in government and on all levels is you have one guy that's focusing on menthol cigarettes. You got one lady that's focusing on focusing on clean heroin needles. You got one guy focusing on Narcan machines. You got one person focusing on uh, you know liquor um, legislation against liquor stores. There's no cooperation between the five people to come to a balance of of you know what's best for the American people. Personally, in my in my opinion, and and you may not agree with this or not, and if you don't, that's fine. But I think that. You're an adult. All drugs should be legalized. You're an adult. If you choose to do those drugs, that's on you. You know what I mean? But there's been countries that have done have done this. You know, um, I think uh, Argentina is one of them. Um, Amsterdam, you know, some several other countries that have legalized, you know, a certain amount of drugs. And um, it's actually decreased the amount of, of, of deaths because of drugs. It's decreased the crime. And I think um, didn't Oregon also decriminalize a lot of drugs as well? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, mushrooms is sort of the, you know, the the psychedelic mushrooms. No, I I I agree. I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of validity in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't. I I think it would be disastrous to sort of flip the switch here in the United States and you know, go carte blanche along well, that. You, you um, think about it. But I think there's a path. There's there's a path towards that. Uh-huh. That is is reasonable, reasonable to explore. Um, and you're right. I'm, I am all about individual responsibility. Right. And I think, unfortunately we have gotten away from that over the last 20 years, maybe, um, of, of saying of, of, of putting responsibility where it rests with individuals. Um, look, we can't, we can't even agree on, on, on what an adult is. In this country, you know, I, I, I saw an interesting bit. I think it was John Stewart. Um, he did an interview and he said, you know, firearms are the number one cause of death of children in the United States now. And I said to myself, well, that doesn't seem accurate, you know? So I started doing some research and and this is the, the, the beauty of statistics, right? Uh Because what they did was they changed the definition of child to, to, to 21 years old. Right. Yeah. So, you know, now you add in, you know, change the definition and and now the numbers, you you know, make sense. Um, Now you can make that blanket statement and you can make that blanket narrative that just gets people upset without actually going into saying, well, no, you know what? Actually, eighteen. If eighteen is the cutoff, and then we're not talking about children. So, for you know that purpose, they want it to be twenty-one years old. For entering the military, it's eighteen. For driving, it's sixteen. For renting a you know a rental car, you got to be twenty-five. Where where are we? Right. What is it? Are we you know for child support? Some states staging for child support, and some states it's twenty-one. Right. You can't have it all, people. Right. If we're going to designate an age of emancipation from your parents, then I think, you know, the states need to start. It's got to be identifying what that, you know, what that age is. And then at the federal government, we need to identify what is that age, Um, you know, and and it's it it speaks to things like at 18, you can carry an M16 in the military. But, you know, you can't be a military member and go buy a handgun for your personal defense at home because you got to be 21 right right doesn't make sense more uniformity doesn't pass the laughability test right and we need more people to stand up and say that and 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 accept it um but again it's the it's the extreme versions it's the, the the people who yell and scream and you know give a horrible you know one off story that that make the headlines and get the attention so a question that I've always had for, and I've always wanted to ask a presidential candidate, and I'm going to ask you, we've heard about all the reasons why you'd be a good president, right? Or why you should, they should elect you. What, what do you worry about when it comes to, I mean, what, what is something that scares you when it comes to the thought of you being the commander in chief of the United States? Well, it's a, you know, it's a massive responsibility. <laughs> Can you imagine you know, the stress that you're going to undergo? Uh, exactly. You know, and, and it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a job that you're not going to make everybody happy about. Right. 
Um, I think, you know, in, in, in anything, anybody who is any kind of public figure knows you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, so I think you have to block out that noise for me, myself, I think I'll be able to sleep at night and I'd be able to hold my head high because I'm honestly motivated by that idea of what's best for the American people. And that doesn't necessarily equate to it being great for every individual, but is what we're doing for the greater good. Um, are we able to mitigate those cases that it's not the perfect fit for? Have we built in flexibility um, to be able to do that? And and ultimately, you know, in the role in president, you know, the most the most sacred and solemn responsibility is as you know commander in chief, and and is in sending you know young people into harm's way. To, I you know I don't think there's ever any question or or regret when it comes to the idea of defending the United States, um, but there are those cases where we have to exert our power and influence abroad, uh, and we have to exert that power and influence through our military, uh, and and sometimes that means firing off a shot or two, and so I think of it in terms of those people that you're not only putting in harm's way that are Americans, but I think in terms of the people who are on the receiving end and the people who have to live immediately with the consequences of the actions that we take and being able to reconcile that, that morally to know that you made the best decision with the information that you had, um, so I think you know that is the the, the weight of of office um, that sits across the spectrum, and gotta, I have, having the willingness and confidence to do that, which right. I do. Right, and and you know I I respect you for that because I mean to be blunt, anybody that runs for president, you got to have some big balls, man, because you're gonna you're gonna have people attacking you from all aspects of life they're gonna be dig trying to dig up all your all your skeletons and and we all have them you know what I mean and and um they're gonna be you know they're gonna attack you and come at you I I commend you for you know for taking the chance and standing up for you know the American people I really do it's it, it I respect you for that and whether I like a candidate I don't like Joe Biden and everybody knows everybody knows me knows I don't like Joe Biden but I respect him or taking the step to becoming the president. You know, I may not agree with him. I don't like his right. policy. I don't like anything, but I do have to respect him for, for stepping into the limelight, if you will. Well, right. there's a great, there's a great video that circulates and it's somebody, I think he was a former secretary of defense uh -huh. uh, or undersecretary of defense, I should say. And he tells the story about the ceramic cup. I don't know if you, if you're familiar with it. But he talks about when he was in his role as undersecretary, he was invited to a conference and, uh, you know, they 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 sent the, uh, the he, his airfare and travel was taken care of. He had a nice hotel room, a car picked him up in the morning. And when he got to the venue to speak, you know, somebody handed him a, a ceramic cup with a nice hot cup of coffee in it. Uh -huh. 
when he was no longer secretary, undersecretary, he went to the same conference a couple of years later, and he had to get his own taxi there and pay for his own hotel. And when he showed up at the venue, you know, he kind of had to fumble his way around to figure out where he had to go. And he said, can I get some coffee? And somebody pointed to the big coffee pot and styrofoam cups. And he said, and that's when I realized the ceramic cup was not for me. The ceramic cup was for my office and the office that I held. And, and in that same way, I agree, regardless of who is sitting in office, I give them all the respect in the world as that office owner. I give all the respect in the world to anybody, you know, even here recently in, in my hometown, you know, somebody who politically in no way possible I would be aligned with um, is, is running for office. And I still said congratulations because I think anybody who is willing to put themselves out there in, in service of their community, and even with my own children, I've said at some point in life, you need to find a way to be of service to your community in any kind of capacity. Right. Um, I have a lot of respect and and and, and give them credit for to, to be willing to put themselves out there. And and you're right, I could probably hand you a list of people who, you know, will be chomping at the bit to say something bad or, or, or <laughs> right. negative, uh, negative about me. And, and, you know, and it, and it comes with the territory and, and all I can say to any criticism, um, is that I, I go into this, you know, with a service focused mindset. Um, I go into it with the humility of, of knowing that, I've had a lot of challenges in my own life and I made the best decisions I could in those moments. Um, and, and it is what it is. Right. That's all you can do, man. You can just be the, be the best person you can be. And, and, um, you know, people like you, they like you. If they don't, they don't. And you just, right. And, you know, and I challenge, you, want, you know, right? and I challenge anybody, you know, to, to sit back and, and, and show me the, the, the ideal and perfect life, um, that they lived and, and that they always, you know, made the right decision or did the right thing in the moment, um, that, that, you know, meant success every step of every step, step of the way. One, and that's the one, one thing favorite. I can say is I know I've failed enough, um, I, I know I've failed enough and I've failed enough in a lot of areas and a lot of ways, um, to know at least that's not the way to do something. Right. Right. I mean, if you don't, if you don't fail, you don't learn in my opinion, you know? So one of, one of my favorite sayings has always been, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones, you know what I mean? Cause everybody, everybody has it. And I just, I, I, it, it's really kind of disgusting how the media treats, um, potential candidates for the presidency of the United sure. States. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it, it really is. It's disgusting. And it, it's turned into, have you ever seen the movie idiocracy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about? It, yeah. it, there's a lot of things that have been going on over the past three years that really relate to that movie and remind me of that movie. Right. Um, but Gene, we, you know, I've taken up enough of your time, man. I really do appreciate it. I want to ask you though, um, where can people learn more about you? Um, is there going to be a possibility for you to meet with your constituents or, or, you know, what, what, what's your plan there? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, this is still, uh, we're still a long way out in terms of, uh, you know, I've got still got a lot of fundraising, you know, it, my friend, I know I've still got a lot of fundraising to do. So, you know, so the two best ways to find me on Facebook, there is a uh, Facebook page, Gene Sticko for president of the United States. Um, on that page, I've, I, I took some time and, and wrote out a lot of ideas about policy, like I said, and, and particularly what I think uh, in terms of uh, timelines and measurable criteria and all the rest. And so I'm trying to, you know, we'll be using that going forward to communicate a lot of that and always appreciate, you know, feedback. Um, my website, uh, you can use either my name, genesticko.com or for the promise of America.com lead you to the same landing page okay. where again there's personal information there's some um you know easy to digest um information about where i stand on on various issues uh and there's a, a donate button you know for um for president and and for any election once i raise five thousand dollars then i have to uh register with the federal election committee and so, you know, right now, that's my goal is to raise that first five grand so that I can file that paperwork and, and get my name uh, out there with with everybody else who's running for president and has and has raised that money. I want to, you know, I want to appear on that same list with Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Nikki Haley. And people go, well, who the hell's Gene Sticko, you know, raised five grand. <laughs> that might get me some news as well. So. Well, hey, man, don't don't forget about us little guys. You know, when you do become president of the United States. Listen, uh, listen, let me tell you wholeheartedly. And and I'd been asked the question, who do I want endorsements from and all the rest of it? I want endorsements from Bobby Carmen. I want endorsements from your listener who's a small business owner who says, I heard this crazy MF or on on, uh, you know, Bobby show that that makes a lot of sense. And you know what? I'm going to take the chance and and that means more to me than any major figure that comes out and and says my name to a hundred million people. Right. The, the fact that if we can pull together um, as, you know, Americans who just know we need some change and are willing to be brave with our vote and to be audacious with our vote and give it to a third party candidate that we believe you know, that you believe really represents you and send that person to the white house. I need 200 million of you rather than one person with 2 million, 200 million followers. Right. Right. Well said, man. Well said. And what I'll do, Gene, is I'll put all your um, contact information, your Facebook page and the um, website. Um, by the way, I, I looked over your website Um Love it, man. It's a good website. You guys go check it out. It's uh, very informational. I really do align with a lot of the policies that you have listed on the website and some of the things that we've talked about. Um, next week, guys, I'm going to have a comedian on, so it's going to be more of a lighter subject and uh, kind of laugh a little bit. But um, Gene, hopefully we can get you back on. Why, you know, I know you're going to be. I know you're going to be a busy man. Um, Anytime. Well, I always make time for you, Bobby. You, you know, let me know you see something or hear something. I'm always happy to jump in and, and offer an opinion and, and chat with you anytime. Yeah, man. I, I mean that from the heart. It's, it's been an awesome conversation, man. So you'll, um, you'll definitely be hearing from me. Thank you. All right, man. We'll talk to you guys later. Um, Gene, I'll, uh, I'll shoot you an email when the uh, episode comes out and with the links and everything. And uh, 
we'll get you back on on the uh, Mind of the Alpha podcast here soon. All right. Appreciate it. All right, man. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.